Well, I just want to echo Katie's prayer that we want our community to be deep, not superficial, not shallow, but, but deep, and uh, deep so that we can then go out and share the love that we have here, the love that comes straight from Christ himself. Um, uh, listen, the success of a church is not in its seating capacity, it's in its sending capacity. And what we want is to be so flooded with the love of Christ that it's just natural. The, the overflow of his love is just natural as we move into our community where God has put us. And that's what's been so encouraging to me about our I Heart CU series. The stories that uh, I have heard and that we're hearing uh, in our church staff about um, uh, how you are being salt and light where God has put you, and uh, specifically uh, last week when we talked about work, uh, how our view of work is, is, you know, is no longer I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Rather, God has placed me at this vocation, at this time, uh, with these people to do His work, uh, His way. And uh, when that happens... When that happens and people experience the love of God through you, they're going to ask. They're going to get curious. They're going to say, okay, well, uh, now why do you do this? What's your motive? What's your agenda? You know, who, you know, who are you and why do you do what you do? What's in it for you? Uh, and I just want to give you something to say. And I actually have word crafted it for you. Okay? And here it is. Christ's love for me has changed me. That's what you say. Christ's love for, well, you know, why am, why am I loving you? Because Christ has loved me. Christ's love for me has changed me. And if you're in a group and you find yourself in this series uh, doing um, maybe a, a special project and, you know, you're interrupted by someone who says, what, what, why are you doing this? Just put it in the plural. Christ's love for us has changed us. Christ's love for us has changed us. Christ's love is why we do what we do. He is our rationale. He is our motive. He is our reason. Christ's love for us has changed us. There's a passage of scripture that I want us to consider this morning that really unpacks this, uh, and it's in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 14 to 21. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. You'll find that on page 966. And these verses really get to the core of who we are and why we do what we do. These verses talk about why we're having this series called I Heart CU, why we want to love our city. These verses reveal our identity and our agenda. These verses talk about who we're trying to become and, and why we're doing what we're doing. And these verses tell us about the glue that holds us all together. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. You'll find that on page 966 of your church Bibles. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. And, and what Paul means by that is, is we, don't, we don't judge people on their outward appearance. We don't judge people by their status. We don't judge people by uh, how much money they have or where they work. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Did you see it? Christ's love for us has changed us. We're a changed community. A community that's been changed uh, by Christ's love. And we're a community where Christ's love has changed messy into holy. That's who we are. And it's important to see before we go any further that Paul uses words like we and us, and our. Because you cannot change apart from a community. You can't. You cannot change character formation, deep, lasting, spiritual transformation never happens alone. It, it requires a community. And we've experienced a lot of community here lately. Like yesterday, 88 of our sisters in Christ uh, gathered uh, uh, for the Beth Moore simulcast. And we know of one who gave their life to Christ the first time yesterday. That happened in community, you know. Uh, uh, community uh, is brothers in Christ. Uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, our brothers in Christ. Gentlemen, will be gathering at the fire pit for an evening of, of, of friendship and food and community. And, and uh, community is what my wife and I experienced Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, where 50 of us gathered and uh, um, asked Christ to be sovereign over our hurts and habits and hang-ups. You cannot... 
grow in Christ apart from community. Um, Listen, the New Testament does not know of an unchurched Christian. You need community to grow. And, And that is a challenge. It's a challenge for me personally because I live in a country that prides itself on autonomous, uh, individualistic, independent Yankee ingenuity. I live in a country that celebrates the individual. I live in a country where, you know, in the year 2006, time has their annual uh, person of the year. Guess who was the person of the year in 2006? You. You. You know, there's YouTube, there's the selfie, there's user-generated content. These, these platforms to express our individualism, and yet, ironically, those platforms which were invented to express our American individualism were actually uh, put together by a community of people. So you need personal face-to-face flesh and blood relationships to grow. Uh, You know, virtual just doesn't quite cut it. Uh, When I was in Tulsa a couple weeks ago, um, caring for uh, mom and dad, uh, I I did get some time to spend with my younger brother. And I typically don't get to do that because uh, he has a very busy life and... uh, um, but he was between jobs, and so he said, hey, Rand, uh, let's go to the gym and let's work out together. I said, great, let's do that. And so we went, and uh, man, I mean, he's got a pretty massive gym that he goes to, and there's this main floor, and it's like a showroom of barbells and elliptical machines and treadmills, and, and, and they even had this room uh, that had, you know, row after row of treadmills and Stairmasters, and, 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 and uh, it, it was a cinema room. We watched Batman. <laughs> now, is that fancy or What? So, you know, while we were watching Batman, I leaned over to him and I said, do they have any group fitness classes? <laughs> he, said, hey, he said, yeah, I think they have some group fitness classes. I said, I said, well, do they have anything like body pump? I said, well, I, you know, I, I think so. I, let me see on the schedule. Yeah, they do. Have you ever been? I said, well, no. I said, well, you know, let's go, I said. Okay. He didn't know about body pump, though. See. He, didn't, he didn't know that it was a, a, a low-weight, high-rep routine. He didn't know that over the course of 50 minutes, you will typically do about 800 repetitions. He didn't know that. that uh, 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 over eight different tracks, you start with your you know, squats, and then you move to your chest, and then you do your back, and then you do your triceps, and then you do your biceps, and then uh, you do uh, uh, lunges, and then you do shoulders, and then you do your core, and then you just kind of collapse into a puddle. He didn't know that. He didn't know that the morning after, the first time you take your class, you you discover muscles you did not know that you had. He didn't know any of that. (laughs) Uh, I said, I think you're going to like it. Let's go. And sure enough, the next morning, he found those muscles. 
And here's the neat thing. So my younger brother has this old football knee injury from high school. And, you know, decades later, it's really limited his mobility. So we went up to the instructor afterwards, and we introduced ourselves. And so my brother was talking about his mobility and uh, his knee injury, and the instructor was nodding and everything. And then after my brother was done, the instructor said, I totally understand. My, the instructor said, several years ago, I was in an automobile accident. I was hit by a drunk driver, and I had had knee surgery. You see my scar. And uh, the instructor said, part of my rehabilitation was taking this class. And now I'm teaching it. Huh. Talk about a wounded healer. See? What the instructor said both inspired us and challenged us. It took away the excuses. <laughs> you know? If the instructor can do it, you can do it. We can do it. God through us does it. See, In community. So your faith may be personal, but it's never private. And you may be an introvert, or you may be an extrovert, or a little bit of both. Either way, growth comes in community. Uh, over 50 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another appears. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Teach one another. Accept one another. Honor one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Be devoted to one another. So who are you doing these things with? Who are you doing these things with? You know, it may seem easier to be more like Christ when no one is around to frustrate your preferences. But that's, a, that's false discipleship. That's untested holiness. So isolation can breed uh, deceitfulness. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking, you know, we're mature if there's nobody there to challenge us or irritate us. Community forges maturity. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21, teach us the effect of Christ's love on our church community. So we'll see the effect of his love controlling our community, the effect of his love reconciling our community to God, and then the effect of his love calling us or commissioning us, sending us out into the community where we live. Let's first consider the truth that we are a community controlled by the love of Christ. That's in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. That is, the love of Christ is the motive for all that we are and all that we do. And by the love of Christ, Paul's not talking about his love for Christ. Well, yes, of course, Paul loves Christ. Um, uh, but 
Paul's love for Christ is not the fuel for his faith. It's just the opposite. Christ is the subject. It's Christ's love for Paul. It's a love that influences and controls and dominates and dictates. And that word controls. Christ's love controls us. Uh, that word controls has a twofold meaning in uh, these verses. The first meaning is, is the picture of a city that is under military siege. The city is being pinched and squeezed. Such is the love of Christ surrounding the life of Paul. Paul's life is under the siege of Christ. So Paul can't do anything apart from the love of Christ. Paul's life is constrained by the straitjacket of Christ's love. And as a result, he's never felt so free. But the other meaning is this. The love of Christ controls me as if to say, the love of Christ squeezes me as if holding me together. The, Christ is my glue holding my life together. Something right now is holding your life together. What's holding your life together? That if you take away whatever that is, your job, even a family member, a spouse, children, grandchildren, your health. You take that away, you unravel. Paul says, I know it. I'll unravel if Christ has ever taken away from me. He's the glue that holds my life together. His love has changed my desires. His love has melted my resistance. His love has redirected my heart. Christ's love has altered my attitude and turned my life's messy into something holy because Jesus' love turns messy into holy. Jesus' love, Paul says, changes me from someone who lives for myself into someone who lives for him. Verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul David Tripp once wrote, you know, the essence of sin, sin at its core is living for yourself. And when you think about all that's wrong with this world, it's because people are living for themselves. When you when I think about all that's Messed up in my life, it's the times when I want to live for myself. And sin does something terrible to me. Sin turns me on myself. Sin shrinks my life to the size of my life. Sin makes me obsessed with my wants and my needs and my feelings. Sin causes me to be self-absorbed and self-important. And as a result, sin is anti-community. It's antisocial. See, because I don't have time to think about you because I'm, I'm spending my time thinking about me. And I don't have time to care for you because I want to care for me. Sin causes me to be obsessed with what I want and how I want it and when I want it and where I want it and why I want it and whom I want to deliver it. Sin makes my life a little more than I want. An I want factory. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Sin morphs me into a, a bottomless vat of demands. 
I'm a vat of expectancy. I'm a vat of entitlement. And that's just what it does to me. You know what it does to you? Sin, my sin will reduce you into one of two objects. You are either a vehicle to get what I want, or you're an obstacle keeping me from what I want. Talk about messy. By the way, if you're in a small group, whether it's a, one of our 40 Windsor Road small groups or if you're in another small group of believers, do you challenge one another with this verse? Do you urge one another to stop living for self and instead live for Christ? Does that kind of gracious candor exist in your life? Or does your small group suffer from terminal niceness? This paralyzing hesitation that keeps your group from calling one another to be more and more like Christ. Randy Frazee is a pastor. He's written an excellent book called The Connecting Church. And he cites research about um, the American small group movement in churches all across our country. Um, so small groups have been the you know, object of research studies in our nation. And here's what some of the research has said. I share this as, I share this as a loving warning. Most small group members in America do not enter the small group with a set of common beliefs and purposes. Instead, they carry their own beliefs and purposes into the group. And so when those beliefs are shared, the common response by others in the group is to affirm and celebrate your right to hold your individual belief. And, you know, given the number of toxic church leaders and spiritual abuse that has occurred, it's not altogether invalid. But in a culture that celebrates individualism, another extreme emerges from our secular society, and you could call it unrestricted tolerance. So according to research on small groups, when the average small group member shares a particular struggle in his or her life, along with the decision that they've said that they've made in order to handle that struggle, it is not uncommon for other members to shy away from challenging whatever is shared, even if they sense the decision is something harmful. The most common response is no response. Nothing is said. The second most common response is to timidly say, well, I wouldn't do that personally, but who am I to judge? Well, if you're talking about what kind of breed of cat you want to buy or the menu selection of your upcoming wedding reception, okay, okay. But what if you're about to detonate your family? Or what if you're about to incur massive financial debt that you can't possibly repay? Or what if you embrace the view that all faiths lead to God? 
Or, you know, that marriage doesn't have to be between a man and a woman. So, you know, we're Americans. We're independent individualists. We ought to be able to concoct our own definition of marriage. Christ-saturated community is one that loves one another enough to offer both grace and truth. And, and, you know, grace without truth becomes mushy and squishy. And, you know, truth without grace becomes legalism. You need grace and truth. You need a community who cares enough to say, look, we love you and we are really, we are glad that you have shared what it is you've shared and that you feel, you know, that you can share it here. We really are. That said, what we are hearing does not square with Scripture. And so, you know, you're going to have to decide if you're going to live for yourself and your wants and your kingdom of one or the eternal, everlasting kingdom of Christ. And you will always live in the service of one of those two kingdoms. And you have to choose because you can't do both. And someone may be thinking, Brandy, that is messy. I mean, that is messy. And the apostle Paul would say, yeah, you're right. It is. It's messy. Christ loves messy. I mean, to belong to a church community is to embrace messy. And I was reminded of this proverb on Friday. It's beautiful. Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. You know? Man, the day our church is mess-free is the day nobody shows up. Because this, we're messy. You've come to a messy church. Your pastor is messy. Christ loves messy. Christ came for messy. Christ died for messy. Christ rose for messy. And his love controls us. It's the glue that holds us together. His love has changed us into a community which no longer lives for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. His love has provided what we need most. And that's the word reconciliation. So we're not just a community controlled by the love of Christ. We are a community reconciled to God through the love of Christ. Verses 18 and 19. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Reconcile, reconciling, reconciliation. Oh, those words dominate this passage. And and the word reconcile or reconciliation is a word, it's actually a financial term. 
It literally means to exchange. There's an exchange that takes place. Uh, To exchange one currency for another currency. Uh, To exchange uh, one currency of money for another currency of money. Or to exchange money for merchandise. Or to exchange salary for labor. And here it has to do with an exchange that takes place which creates community and harmony and peace, first with God and then with one another. It has to do with exchanging a peace for war, love for anger, friendship for hostility, holy for messy. Reconciliation restores us to God, and the reconciliation place was none other than the cross. Christ's life for our life. And God took the initiative in reconciling us to himself. God has taken away that which was keeping us from him. He took away our sin, our offense. You see, because God is committed to justice, our offense must be reconciled. Because justice is about balance and fairness. God is committed to this. His character is committed to this. But God's justice is not his last word. God's love and grace, those are his last words. And so God graciously provides what is needed for the exchange to take place, namely his own son. Literally, verse 21 says this, For he who did not know sin, talking about Jesus, was for our sake made sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That's Jesus. So you see, Jesus begins and ends that verse. He surrounds us. And it's a double exchange. God puts our sin and offense on Christ, and God puts Christ's righteousness and goodness and perfection on us. So Christ gets our messy, and we get his holy. Verse 21 is God's way of saying, I want community with you. I want that. I want you in my company. And I will do what it takes to make that happen. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1, verse 20, the Apostle Paul has these wonderful words. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is God's grand yes. We don't have to alleviate God's anger. It's been done for us by grace. Grace. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace is one-way love. And that's what God wants us to share. See, we're a church community controlled by Christ's love. We're a church community reconciled to the Father by Christ's cross-driven love. And we're a church community called to share this message of reconciliation. Our, Our motive is Christ's love for us, and our message is that of reconciliation. And our mission is to share. And that's why in verses 18 and 19, we see the phrases, giving us, it's a gift, giving us the ministry of reconciliation, and then then entrusting to us the message 
of reconciliation. Don't you see, in Christ, we become God's department of state. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is speaking through you when you say, Christ's love for me has changed me. That's God speaking to your neighbor. It's God speaking to your coworker through you. Because you're his ambassador. That's your new identity. God determines your identity. We represent him. And so from now on, whether it's church or work, because you know, as we said last week, God sees no distinction between uh, uh, spiritual secular. It's, you know, God has placed you in the ministry where you are, at the work where you are, with the people with whom you are working and serving. And from now on, you never speak for yourself. You never do. You never work for yourself. You never parent for yourself. When you show up to the office, you may work for the company, but your company is a a subsidiary of the company. (laughs) And that makes you holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Let me show you something holy, all right? Hallelujah. This is holy. Huh? Now, don't get up and leave. This is holy. See, see. Where's he going with this, Alice? Often we think of the word holy, we think of, uh, you know, spotless, sinless, all right? Well, I want us to refine our understanding of holy, okay? Because holy means dedicated to fulfilling a specific function. And you can't, this has one function, okay? Can't play tennis with this. And even on the course, you need to putt with this thing. Use it in the sand trap. Use it off the tee. There it is. You don't even have to play golf to know that. It's dedicated to a specific purpose. It's dedicated to a specific function. And you are dedicated to a specific function of representing your king and a kingdom that you are inheriting, but it's not the kingdom of Randy, the kingdom of Christ. And that is what needs to inform the conversations that you have. That is what needs to inform uh, the uh, social media posts that you make. That is what needs to inform your family life. You're an agent of reconciliation. And to be an agent of reconciliation is to fulfill the function of entering into the lives of others. American American embassies aren't needed on American soil. They're needed outside of America. And our church community is an embassy 
of heaven. People need to see our lives and the quality of our lives and the character of our lives and our love for one another and come to the conclusion that there must be heaven because these people live like nobody else on earth. These people actually enter into our mess. These people actually have shared with us that which has changed their life. And so to be used as an ambassador is to, is to be used by God to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker. And when I use that word peacemaking, I'm talking, I'm just not talking about in terms of churchy spiritual language. I'm talking about the peacemaking that needs to happen you know, in our day-to-day living. What would it be like for our community, our university, to say there's so much division going on. Where can we go for help in peacemaking? And they came to the brothers and sisters in Christ at Windsor Road because they see the quality of your life. Surely what James says would be fulfilled. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, as a group, we stated principle number eight. Yield myself to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. And then that night, We heard from a married couple. They're serving God together. And the one spouse um, said, I'm a grateful believer who struggles with drug and alcohol addiction. And then the other spouse said, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus who struggles with sexual addiction. And And then he said, You know, I've I've been to this church many years, but I never thought I could stand up at my church and say that and have that be okay. It is okay. It It needs to be okay for believers to stand up and say, I'm a grateful believer who struggles with pride. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with anger. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with compulsive spending. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with porn. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with same-sex attraction. I struggle. I'm a mess. Well, you're in the right place. Because in community with other believers, God is at work changing the messy into the holy. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness and we confess our sins to one another for healing. For healing. And we need to do both because that's what it means to be in community. Community controlled by the love of Christ. A community reconciled by God through the love of Christ. And a community commissioned and assigned and gifted and entrusted to share this message 
of reconciliation through Christ. And, and when the world sees that kind of authentic, Christ-oriented, reconciliation-saturated community, they're attracted to that. Because at that moment, they become attracted to Jesus. And you know what? Jesus prayed for that. John 17, 23. Oh, Father, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Church family, let the love of Christ control you. And let his love reconcile you to God. And let his love move you to share the reconciliation that he offers with others. Let his love change your messy into holy. Amen.